Dr. Alan Leica here, and I'd like to welcome you to How to Live a Fantastic Life Show, where we will be discussing the important aspects of your life. We hope to inspire you to live the best life you can. Get out of your comfort zone and explore the awesome world around you. Break through your barriers. Take inspired action. Use the difficulties in your life to achieve the best version of you. We have a very special show today. We have Dr. Toby Travis, and he's from the Trust Ed Framework for Developing Trust and Leadership to support their mission statement of well-being of businesses, organizations, and schools. And he's been featured in Forbes, CEO World Magazine, Authority Magazine, The Knowledge Review, eSchool News, and on NPR. Now, when I get these things read about me, I usually say, geez, I sure am glad somebody read all those things in my obituary. So this is not about your obituary, Toby. It's all about how you do things and how you make leaders grow and prosper. Now, now Toby has come from a world in which he was working in a highly dysfunctional and toxic environment. And he learned to take positive steps to make it better for others out there. So let's move on to your story, Toby, and help others to understand what leadership is all about and how come we, how come we don't have leaders and why we are not developing the leaders we should be doing. Alan, thank you so much for, well, for the glowing intro and for the opportunity uh, to be here to talk with your listeners as well. And yeah, so you you shared just kind of a, a, a snippet of, of my story. And, and my story really isn't, I think, that unusual. I think a lot of folks come into a work environment, uh, maybe even a bit naively. And, and then once they get into that, that environment, they see uh, broken relationships, they see uh, adversarial, uh, even um, relationships going on, and often between employees and administration or owners, and and then you you scratch your head about wow how do you, how do you make uh, how do you make life livable and and pursue your your dreams and your hopes of what you you wish life would look like. Uh, when you're living in a, a toxic environment or working in a toxic environment. Well, let's let's go through that toxic environment. Yeah. Let's go through it so people understand it so they can empathize with you. What was that all about? Well, really just, and I, I'm going to overuse the word trust, but it was a lack of trust. So uh, w- without being too specific, because some of those Folks are still around and would potentially be listening, but in that uh, that organization that I was working, you readily understood that employees did not trust leadership, and and there was you know even though supposedly we were all working for the same end, the same mission, and, and the same goal, the the way in which we pursued what we were about. Uh, was not shared between employees and leadership. And there was this idea, well, let me give an example like this. So in the school world, so I've worked in schools, in many schools, or a number of schools, rather, over the years, all too often you find 
a relationship of disconnect between school administrators and teachers and, you know, faculty and staff as if they are on different pages and different universes, you know, that you're looking for different ends. And yet they should all be about meeting the needs of students. And yet what happens is teachers don't feel like administrators have their back. Administrators feel like they have to have all these controls to ensure that teachers do what they're supposed to be doing. And that's, that's kind of the example of what I'm talking about is leadership not trusting their employees, employees not confident that leaders have got their back and are there to support them. And that's where it becomes toxic because uh, we should all be sharing the same ends, the same uh, mission and vision and shared values. This is where we see healthy work environments and positive work environments is when we, we share those same values. We, we agree on a mission and we're there for that mission. And when those things are not clear or in place, this is where it gets to be very, um, well, very toxic and, and anything but enjoyable to be in that environment. Well, that's important to me. And, and, you know, this, this leader and, and follower sort of relationship or employer employee relationship is very important. Now, when it's broken, can the trust of a leader be repaired? And if so, how? Yeah, well, there's the, there's the good news is yes, it can be. And this is part of what uh, my work has been in working with uh, with leaders and organizations. And sometimes as a leader, you come in and you inherited uh, broken trust. You know, it wasn't something that you actually did. Uh, you know, you may come into a leadership role and your predecessor, you know, had been dismissed or fired or left because of some sort of crisis or uh, some sort of episode that had gone on. And the good news is, yes, in fact, uh, we know that there are at least four um, critical commitments that leaders need to make in order to see trust restored. And I, I talk about those in detail in the book. But for example, uh, their first one, and I use this technique a lot in, in coaching, is make promises and keep them. If you want to restore trust, start making promises and keep your promises. And so we'll, and it sounds simple, but it's really how it's done. So we'll talk about, okay, what promises can you make to, to your, to your employees that you can come through on in the next few weeks or the next couple of months, but you know, no long range things. And so what can we do in the short term to start building this up, building a habit and a practice of here's what I say we're going to do. And then we do it and you carry through. And another element or another commitment is just staying in there for the long haul. Uh, trust is not repaired quickly. It takes time and it takes consistency. And so you, often when a leader's in a situation where trust has been broken, they have to also make a decision. Okay, am I in it for the long haul? Am I willing to stay in here and complete the process? I, I use a bridge analogy throughout the book. And we're talking about, are you, are you willing to stay in and complete the bridge? You know, sometimes you look at the construction of a large suspension bridge or one of these large interstate bridges, it could take years to complete those constructions. But when they do, they're solid, they're going to stand, and, and they can weather the elements. Well, the same thing in our leadership. If you're willing to invest the time, the energy, the consistency, the intentionality, yeah, you can get it done. Um, and there's the hope. Now, Alan, there is one caveat uh, to that in what we've also learned through the research. And this, some of this actually comes out of marital counseling. 
If I break trust with my employees through some inappropriate or stupid decision or behavior, and I own it, and I confess that, and I say to my employees, I blew it. That was wrong, what I did. Um, and I acknowledge it. I own my mistake. And, and I begin to just try to move forward. What we've learned is, yes, trust can be mended so long as I never go back and make the same error again. But if I repeat whatever behavior, action, decision that broke the trust the first time, the statistical percentage of trust being restored after that second infraction is, well, it's, it's, it's less than 1%. And that's the time when I would counsel someone, no, buddy, you blew it again. It's time to brush up your resume and look for starting fresh someplace else. And I think that's the statement right there. It's like, fool me once, shame on me. Right. right. Fool me twice, shame. You know, no, yeah. fool me once, shame on you. you fool me right. twice, shame on me. Yeah, exactly. And that's what we want to make sure it's not the shame on me. Right. And so that breaking the trust twice is even a bigger thing than yeah. breaking the twi- trust once. Yeah. And, and I think that trust relationship, as, as I say, can be broken, but once it's severed forever is when you get into the problems that you might never be able to repair and never be able to get onto. Well, in fact, I found Alan that, uh, in situations where trust has been restored, actually the, the level of trust is actually deeper and stronger. Now, when, when, when owners, leaders, administrators, supervisors own their mistakes, get transparent with their employees or those whom they're supervising, again, confess it, own it, and repair the relationship, the relationship actually gets stronger. And, and so just this, you know, this idea that no, we reckon we all make mistakes. We all blow it sometimes. That's part of our humanity. We can actually see our relationships get better when we, again, when we own our stuff and uh, intentionally work to improve it. Yeah. Now, your book breaks down the complexities of many behaviors and skill sets that must be in place for trust to be pr- present. Can you briefly go through some of these so our listeners can understand how to make uh, and break maybe the, the, the trust relationship? Again, we uh, use the, uh, I say we, because my wife actually gave me the, the idea of using a bridge as an analogy. I had finished my doctoral program and was looking at all this research, all this work. I'm like, oh, how do I, how do I communicate this to folks? And, and, and she said to me one night at the table, she says, well, sweetie, isn't it kind of like a bridge? You need all those parts working together. And I'm like, yeah, you're right. And when they're working together, you've got trust. It's you know, a good thing you were listening that day. Absolutely. Yes. You know, <laughs> and, and I think about it, Alan, I actually, I've had a phobia of bridges all my life. I'm, I'm the youngest of six boys. And I remember one of my older brothers terrorizing me one day by holding me over the edge of a, a little bridge that went over this little creek by, by our house and terrified me. And, and ever since, anytime I step onto a bridge or drive onto a bridge, I've got a little bit of a phobia. But you think about it, when we drive on to, say, a large suspension bridge, we are making a life or death decision the moment we drive onto that bridge, right? I mean, we are 
exercising a high level of trust in those who constructed the bridge and those who are maintaining the bridge. Well, same thing in leadership. So I won't share all the elements, but a couple of examples. You know, a bridge has got to have a solid foundation. Right? That's where it all starts. In leadership, what we look at are beliefs and values. Um, do leaders have well-articulated beliefs? Uh, are they well-known? Uh, are they, again, uh, visual? Um, and uh, are they shared? Uh, so that's where it starts is, okay, what do we believe? In? And again, I'll go back to, to schools as an example. What do we believe about education? What do we believe about the role of parents and the role of teachers? Uh, what's our philosophy of education, if you will? And then there's a substructure to the bridge. Now, the, the, the purpose of a substructure is to connect everything on the bridge to the foundation, right? Well, in leadership, one of the quickest ways to lose trust is to say, this is what I believe, but then not connect what we do in our behaviors and our actions, our policies, our protocols, our systems as an organization with what we say we believe. And this is key to trusted leadership is that we are consistently supporting and connecting everything we do to what we say we hold dear in our values and our beliefs. And again, a bridge has bearings, it has girders, it has a superstructure, it has a deck. You know, the deck of a bridge looks really simple, right? It's a flat surface with some lines and lights on it. Well, in leadership, the deck of trusted leadership is trusted leaders take complex things and make them simple. We know where we're going. We know what lane we're in. It's clear. It's simple. And yet, if you talk to an engineer of a large suspension bridge, he's going to tell you there is a lot of complexities and work that goes into making that simple flat surface that's going to be durable in all kinds of weather and movement and shifts. And there's a lot that goes into uh, what appears to be very simple for us as drivers. Well, the same thing in leadership is that leadership skill of order, clarity. Huge. So um, those are some of the elements we I talk about the, in the book. And again, the, the work that I have the opportunity of doing with with leaderships and leadership teams and leaders is looking at these various components of trusted leadership that must be in place uh, for trust and high levels of trust to be there. I, I can understand that. And I, I think the analogy is really good. I mean, you look at the Golden Gate Bridge in San Francisco. And you look at the superbness of that structure and, right. and you look at just how it spans such a big extent, but also how many cars it takes across every day and how much it really is, is the most amazing thing. You know, I was once up in the wine country north of, north of San Francisco and I was driving back and I was driving and all of a sudden there was the Golden Gate Bridge. And it was just the most amazing thing to be on that bridge and not just being on the side of it, looking at it, just looking at it and how it really is one of the most marvelous feats and how it's been built and how it does all the things it's supposed to do. Yeah, exactly. You know, you think about big suspension bridges uh, like that. They have, uh, again, the bearings. These are not you're not really usually even aware of them, but these are the moving parts of a bridge. And I uh, use that analogy to talk about trusted leaders are flexible. You know, they're, they, yes, they have 
very well-defined beliefs and values, but they also have the ability to flex with the needs of their, of their staff and of their clientele. Well, it's just like their group, the, excuse me, the bearings in a bridge. Uh, but in order to be flexible, so, you know, on a bridge, you've got changes in weather, you've got changes in payload that's going across the bridge. In order to be able to be flexible, leaders have got to be involved in the nuts and the bolts of their business or their organization. You can't develop trusted leadership from a distance. You, you can't sit behind multiple doors of secretaries and be trusted. You, you know, you, you've got to be in the hallways. You've got to be, you know, in, in again, whatever the, the, the work situation is, but you've got to be on the floor, as it were, or in a school setting. You've got to be in the classrooms. You've got to be with, uh, with folks and involved in the committee meetings and, you know, just, again, the nuts and bolts of the organization. Otherwise, you don't have the ability to be flexible if you're not involved. Exactly. Now, going back to the school situation, uh, a situation that you work with all the time, you said teachers do not leave schools. They leave school. They leave school leaders. Is that the primary reason we are amid a national teacher shortage? Is that why we're having an employment crisis? Is that why our schools are in trouble? I think it's, it is certainly a major part of it and, and always has been. I mean, there have been uh, probably five studies done over the last 10 years uh, trying to identify um, the reasons behind the teacher shortage. You know, this is not new. The, the pandemic has exacerbated the problem t- uh, for us. But we are seeing colleges are graduating fewer and fewer um, graduates and education programs. That's another uh, piece of the puzzle. Uh, why are we not able to attract um, folks into education uh, is another part of it. But yes, I think uh, when you look at the number one reason teachers leave schools, it's not about pay. It's not about student behavior. It's not about curriculum. It is, I do not feel supported by my supervisor. And we see that come up all the time. So it's a trust issue. And then when you look at the hesitancy to come back into the workforce, same thing. In fact, this is, you mentioned Forbes earlier. That was one of the, the, the Forbes articles uh, was interviewing me and asking about that very issue. And that's what we were talking about was um, this idea that part of the reason folks are not coming back into the workforce is they know there are such huge needs right now. They're not confident that employers are going to protect them. You know, it's like, no, get people hired and then work them to death. No, that's not a way to build trust. And people know there's work. I, I had a conversation with a nurse recently who had moved into the area. I asked her, so have you found work yet? She goes, oh, I'm not ready to get a job because I've heard they're working them really long hours. I'm like, ah, right. So it's, you know, it's cyclical. It's like, no, I'm not going to go to work because they're working really long hours. They're working really long hours because they can't get enough people to work. You know, it's, it is part of the problem, but it, it comes back to, again, it's a, it's a trust issue. They, they are not trusting employers to protect their time and their well-being. Well, and I think that's true of business right now, too. And I think COVID has put extra stress on business right now where employers are over employees are overworked the ones that are around to do the work are and and leaders are overworked as well and they are having tremendous difficulties uh, leading like they used to because the stresses are there are so much more 
Yeah, well, there's a recent report out. It was something like 76% of school principals uh, reporting that they're re- working harder and longer uh, hours than ever before. Another report I recently saw in the school world, 30% of superintendents are not planning on renewing their contracts. We've never seen numbers that high before. And so we're not only going to have and have a teacher shortage. Uh, and we have had an administrative shortage for a few years, but it's going to be, uh, it's going to be much larger uh, in the, in the coming year. Now the, the good news is for, you know, it's aspiring school administrators. There's going to be lots of job openings, uh, but it's really sad because what it means is we're just burning people up and out. And, uh, and that's really unfortunate. I understand that. I understand where this is coming to. Now, where is there hope for this problem? Where, how can we solve some of the problems we are dealing with? How can we, peop, how can we step in and, and help this problem before it really becomes a bigger problem than it is? Well, there is hope, Alan, and I am seeing it with, with a number of organizations and schools that I get the opportunity to work with as well. And, and I'm not the only one that's seeing it. There, there's some great work that's going on out there. But first, it starts by recognizing the problem. Oh, just acknowledging that, right, this is a trust issue. And one of the things we look at in school improvement and business improvement initiatives, 70% of them fail. And that stat, again, is not unique to schools. It's not unique to to business. 70% of improvement initiatives fail. And when we look at the why behind it, it's usually about execution. Uh, And then when you look at, well, what's the underlying element of the execution problem? It's leadership. If we address the leadership issue first, ensure that, no, we have high levels of trust in our leaders and our leadership teams. We have high levels of trust in our protocols and practices. Um, Then we see improvement initiatives getting better and better and better. So if it begins with acknowledge, yep, this is what the issue is. Identify the, you know, one of the things we see, Alan, in the school world constantly are, all these new initiatives, right? We, whether the latest thing, and it's kind of the number one complaint of teachers, we're always doing something new. And there's lots of new learning going on, you know, whether it's about literacy or, or you know, brain research or, uh, you know, pick, pick your initiative. And we see a lot of energy being put into these initiatives only to see them fail because we have not taken care of the root issue first which is the leadership piece. So acknowledging that that is the issue. Secondly, assess it. And and we've developed tools to be able to do that. We can actually assess the trust level in a leader or leadership teams, and then using that data to actually drive action plans, specific behavioral and personal and professional development plans, identify what training needs to happen, uh, identify what skill sets are lacking in our leadership team, create a a profile, who is it we need to hire to to help us fill this thing out. I mean, use the data to help drive a a solution to the problem. Uh, And then, you know, consistently stick with it and just uh, intentionally walk through. I'm a big fan of short-term goals Set a goal, meet it. Set a goal, meet it. And you build a culture of, uh, of support, of trust, uh, of positivity, if you will, that that is the way to do it. So recognize so, it, assess it, intentionally address it. I understand, Toby. Uh, Toby, this show is called How to Live a Fantastic Life. 
And we are close to the end of the show. Time has flown by. So can you tell us how you, on a personal level, have a fantastic life? I, well, I think it's, you know, life is about people, Alan, right? So I have a fantastic life because I have a fantastic marriage. I have fantastic friends and mentors uh, in, in my life and opportunity to mentor others. So key to a fantastic life, it's all about pouring yourself into other people. And, you know, I have, I've just always found that my problems get a lot less when I'm keeping myself focused on helping other people with theirs. And uh, to me, that, that's part of the, the secret to uh, a fantastic life. And uh, yeah, uh, love on other people, invest in other people, uh, seek the support of others and also seek to support others. You know, that, that really is a, in a nutshell. And I, I think you've said that not for yourself, but for everybody out there as well, that the keys to success in business is in your personal life and having the steps stepping stones in your personal life to support yourself in business and the secret in business to success is to develop a leadership philosophy and practice so that you can purvey it to others and they can carry on in a clear concise way what you're trying to do in in so that people that you're leading can buy into your philosophy, listen to your philosophy. So in other words, do what you say and say what you do. And I I think that's all part of living that fantastic life and doing that fantastic life so that your life supports what you're doing and you support what your life is doing. Is that not right? Absolutely. Keep it authentic, right? It's got to be real. And again, success, regardless of how you define that, really comes through relationships. Again, we're we're people meant for people. And if we focus on that, I believe the the other the other elements of success they, they will follow. Um, but it's it's understanding that it's it's not about the bottom line isn't the profits, the bottom line isn't the sales, the bottom line isn't the number of graduates in a program. Uh, the bottom line really should be how do we how do we empower, how do we encourage, how do we build up those that we have the opportunity to speak into their life? And the more we do that, uh, the more success just raises up and and, and pronounces itself uh, as, as kind of the fringe benefit of healthy relationships. Yeah, I, I think that is the key there. And, and I think you've nailed the, the nail on the head. I think you've said it very well, that you build this step by step along the way. And the healthy relationships are what help keep everything going. Yes, absolutely. Well, Toby, a couple of things. You run a company, so how can people get in touch with you if they would like your services? So they can find uh, me on on the web at trustedconsulting.org, or you can just Google my name or jump on LinkedIn. Again, it's Toby, T-O-B-Y, Travis, Dr. Toby Travis, trustedconsulting.org. My recent book, Trust Ed, The Bridge to School Improvement is available on Amazon, and you can check that out there. But that's, that's where folks can find me. Now, I, I would like to emphasize 
the stuff about uh, it that's in your book on schools is not just about schools. Right. It's about, it's about business as well. So if you are a business leader, you can learn a lot from the school model that Toby talks about in his book. So don't think it's only for, for teachers or people in the teacher framework. We all are teachers and learners in some phase of our life. So there's a lot in there for you. Thank you, Alan. And, and that is true. And a lot of my work, again, as a consultant and as a coach, uh, is with uh, business leaders, organizational leaders. Uh, it's not just the school world, but the book uses the school world as, as, as the focus, as the examples of, of how do we, again, how do we assess trust? How do we move forward in building that bridge of trusted leadership? And, uh, and, and that is the world that I primarily have worked in over the years. So lots of ready examples. Well, Toby, thank you for being here today. And thank you for sharing your information with me and your wonderful knowledge. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you so much. So to our listeners, I hope to talk to you soon. Bye for now. You've been listening to How to Live a Fantastic Life. Be sure and pick up a copy of Dr. Leica's book, The Secrets to Living a Fantastic Life, on Amazon.com. And you'll want to subscribe right here on this page so you don't miss a single episode. Have a fantastic day. Oh,